Hi, my name is Dr. Mari Mitrani. I'm the Chief Science Officer of Organicel, and I am with SoFlow Vegans. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the SoFlow Vegans podcast. I'm your host and founder of SoFlow Vegans, Sean Russell. On today's episode, we have Dr. Mari Mitrani, who's going to be talking about stem cell research and how it impacts you as well as the vegan movement. And of course, we have our co-host, Alba Mendez, leading the charge with her expertise in the medical field. If this is your first time listening to the SoFlow Vegans podcast, welcome. We want to encourage you to go to soflowvegans.com slash podcast to listen to all of our other episodes. And then while you're there, make sure you leave a review, let us know what you thought, and subscribe. Yes, that's the best way to stay in the loop with when we have brand new podcasts. And if you're not familiar with SoFlow Vegans, our goal is to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. That means doing events, supporting local business, and creating cool content like this episode you're going to listen to today. So, without further ado, we want to introduce you to Dr. Mari Matrani. You are listening to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell, founder of SoFlow Vegans. And if this is your first time listening to our podcast, make sure you go over to soflowvegans.com slash podcast to listen to all of our other seasons. But this episode, we have a special guest for you. But before we get to that, I'm going to introduce our co-host and she is going to introduce our guest. What's up, everybody? This is Alba Mendez. And yes, like Sean said, I am super excited to have this amazing podcast with this very special friend, none other than Dr. Maria Inez Mitrani, a.k.a. Dr. Mari. Welcome. Hi, how you doing? Super excited to be here. All right. So, yeah, we I mean, I've heard so much. We had opportunity to not as much, but kind of see each other at one of a recent event that we were at, the Plant Based Paradise event vegan block party was amazing so speak for yourself i see her all the time <laughs> uh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> um so yeah we want to definitely learn more about what you do you know get your story as far as um, how you started in the plant-based vegan space right. so let's start from there that's always a good place to go or get your vegan origin story so how did you get into veganism or a plant-based lifestyle Okay, so I'm uh, one of the weird ones that uh, was born and raised in uh, a beautiful home of two physicians that um, when my dad was going through first years of med school, he got introduced to a new a way of treating patients and that led him and catapulted him to understand a new way of uh, treating and understanding health. Uh, one of the biggest switch that he uh, proposed all of his life from that point on was nutrition. So we were raised in a house where the most important thing that we could do was to eat properly if uh, the goal as a physician was to treat conditions that were chronically um, already onset. His first and foremost uh, step was always 
go into a plant base back then, I mean, uh, 40 years old, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, uh, it was called vegetarian uh, and a vegetarian approach. Uh, but uh, my mom cooks delicious and she was able to transition everything from um, the usual normal diet that uh, everybody in the world has into a more of a whole food plant-based. And it's funny enough that now it's such a big trend. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, that's the way that I was uh, I was raised, me, my brother, my sister, and I mean, we were all the way to, everything was green in our house, everything was organic in our house, um, you know, we were meditating since we were five years old, so we, and now I, I know, or I, I always knew that I was super fortunate to have two unbelievable uh, uh, physicians that were guiding not only my future career, but mm, our, our lives, right, and that they were, and they keep, they still have their practice and they keep tapping into so many lives and changing the way how uh, healthcare should be approached. And this is all the way coming from Ecuador. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Ecuador. That's amazing. I mean, from South, I'm, I'm from South America as well, from Peru. And even back then, yeah, everybody knew what vegetarian was or vegetarianism, but then to have doctors from like 40 years ago pushing this on their patients. I mean, I'm sure your father or your mom were known as what, the hippie doctors. I mean, if I tell you, still till today, what they do is uh, seem crazy, I guess. I don't know, but there's so much. I mean, my dad has studied so many different aspects of natural medicine that it's not only one thing that he practiced. And because he always sees from pediatrics to geriatrics, he sees the whole scope. And he treats like the really difficult conditions. But even then, um, and as we know, with more and more published studies coming out, the, the way to do a good, I mean, if we are not as physicians, as healthcare providers, if we're not working with preventable approaches, I don't, I don't know what we're doing as, uh, as nurses, nutritionists, doctors, surgeons. I mean, the idea of thinking that we gotta fix something that is totally broken instead of making sure we don't get there is just surreal in our health care system so preventative medicine yeah and, and speaking of preventative medicine we talked about your vegan background but as far as like your professional background how do you relate to the vegan community health so I mean um, what I forgot to mention is uh, when I was 13 I I mean so I was raised vegetarian right uh, I never had dairy never had eggs or um, we did eat white meat, right? Uh, but at 13, I read this article about um, the climate change and the gas uh, emissions from animal agriculture. So at 13 that day, I said, there is no way I will be contributing to this anymore. Like I was always pushing for, I wanna save the world. And if it's only me doing it, I don't care. I was fortunate enough that, as I mentioned, my mom cooks so delicious that there were so many options in the plate that I, I would just skip that uh, white meat or fish. And um, and then I, when I was in high school, I, I decided to, it, it was a good decision to go down the, the path of my parents. Uh, and um, I loved the anatomy, physiology, and 
everything to do with medicine. So um, I just jumped on board with that, and I was I'm still so fortunate to be able to like engage with everything that my my parents are doing. So from a young age, and as Alba can can verify, uh, as living in a third world country, you know, there's more professional hands needed all times in all fields, not, not only in medicine. So uh, as, as uh, medical students, even from the beginning, we get exposed to that real contact with patients and to deal with, um, I mean, third world country problems where uh, things that we don't see here, right? But uh, we are exposed to that ability to uh, jump and analyze and solve problems uh, from a very young age. So um, that's where my medical side started. And um, I've, I've been exposed to, as I mentioned, like my dad has done so many um, courses and classes and um, he is, so knowledgeable of different varieties of how to treat a patient without engaging with any side effects or with any techniques that would be detrimental to the body, that he he complies all of that. And I've learned throughout my years with him. So um, actually wanted to be an OBGYN because I adored deliveries. So <laughs> I rotated in seven years with water deliveries. Um, in Ecuador, we were fortunate to have one clinic that had everything from uh, your OR to everything that you needed to, to have a natural delivery, uh, water delivery, or more like respect the delivery system from the female and not like just lay her down, push her legs up, and be totally against anatomy and physiology. So. I mean, that's, I've been riding through a lot of faces. <laughs> That'd be an interesting podcast to also discuss, especially when it comes to um, female, um, the birth canal, babies being born, because there's many parts of, of, of the world that women give birth with a hot water and maybe a knife to cut the, the umbilical cord or like outside being held together by two big, strong women. And she gives birth down and that's natural for them instead of in a hospital laying down like you said up on stirrups yeah so the funny thing about about delivery is that one we forget that we're animals right and we come coded to know how to uh, carry on on a pregnancy deliver our babies and then nurture our babies that's something that society wants or the medical community made it into more of a necessity to use a hospital and I understand a hundred thousand percent that yes it needs to be totally controlled because there's so much um, there's many factors that can affect maternal it. and fetal and fetal problems that can happen but to learn how to navigate with the respect of anatomy and physiology I mean the way you poop is the way that you have to deliver if you are against that, your, your, your canal is going like this and then it's going up instead of going like this. So, and that's why we need episiotomy, like you're going to cut because you're going against that gravity. So, I mean, in Ecuador, we, are, we have 80% of our population is native Indian and uh, there was a big ruling to respect that because our native American population is, uh, we know what we are doing, right? 
um, not that I want to say that yes, they have to be left out in the field to do it because as I'm a as a doctor, I, I, I should not be saying that. Uh, <laughs> but there has to. We are. It's to, it's almost 2020, and not understanding that simple things like that, like the commodity for the doctor that is receiving that baby, um, should not be a factor of what the female and the baby's conditions are and should be. So we, we diverted from our <laughs> little point. No, that's actually pretty good because it goes with what you your training has been. And your training has been in neurotherapy, acupuncture, IB nutrition, and regenerative medicine, which is the main focus of your work, which is stem cells. Yeah. So Sean, let's get into that. Yes. Let's talk about stem cells. What is a stem cell? Okay, so... Um, when me and my husband was, uh, were working in anti-aging, um, we were... In- my favorite topic. Yeah. <laughs> so we got introduced to this hematologist that we're already working with stem cells, autologous stem cells. So uh, autologous just means from the patient's own body. So um, and this is what embarked us into this beautiful field of regenerative medicine, because he said, if you're going to be an anti-aging, the best anti-aging is in stem cells. So um, a stem cell is when that, um, let's go to the mother of all stem cells. It's when that sperm meets the egg, they create this one perfect cell, right? That will become a new individual. So that cell will, reproduce again and again and create other master stem cells. Uh, These stem cells, stem cells are undifferentiated cells. There is no information inside of the cell, right? And talking about where I started, the master cell that would create a human being then starts reproducing and reproducing and reproducing and eventually you will have tissues and organs that are specific to do a specific thing, right? So in the adult right now, let's just talk about two different cells, because we have trillions of cells in our body. And all those trillions of cells in our body are known to do a specific thing. So a heart cell would be a myocyte that knows that its ability is only to contract, right? It is a muscle cell that will be contracting. That's what that cell will do all of its life, right? Uh, a skin cell, an epidermis cell, is a cell that is uh, going to be that uh, like wall, that protective cell. They're both cells, they both have a nucleus that has the DNA and the identity of Alba, let's say, of Sean, right? But they have uh, embedded ability to do two different things. One will do contraction and the other one will be protection, right? A stem cell just has that nucleus that knows all of the information of what ALBA is, but does not have an identity of what am I going to do. So the body has, and this is when we started our work, um, the scientific community didn't know much about stem cells, uh, more than yeah, their ability to regenerate is so big because they are master cells. So now we know that as adults we have stem cells. We we go throughout through all of our life with stem cells, 
and the body has them dormant. The body has them dormant in specific places, right? Um, and the body uses those stem cells here and there. Um, even though the body would have the ability to regenerate itself to the fullest, that's just not how biologically the clock wants to use them. So if you cut yourself, um, parasites from the, the, the vessel will go there and will start repairing that, that side. Stem cells will, now we know those, I jump from the, uh, the parasites and stem cells, at the end of the day, right now we know that those are the ones that will carry that information to redo that place. So um, we, we got embarked in this, in this field of autologous stem cells. So um, being able to understand that the body has an extreme ability of regeneration was so unbelievable to see it happen in front of our own eyes. Um, and um, I, I, I can go on and on of what the, what stem cells are, but did I answer the question of what stem cells are? Because well, I don't want to get too medical. No, no, no. You did mention, though, there are places to find the stem cells. Like, what are some of those places in the body that you find? Okay, so as an adult, the, uh, the biggest pools we can find are the hematopoietic stem cells, which are the blood-derived stem cells. The, the body has them dormant in bone marrow, right? So the easiest way to access that is doing a puncture in the, bo in the bone marrow. Um, the oldest way to do it, like the ancient way to do it, still is being done, is through an iliac puncture. So um, you need an OR. That means the hip. I'm sorry. Sean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he looked a little lost. Yeah, I sometimes I don't I don't want to use too many medical terms, but I um, so yeah, you will need an OR and do make sure that you are going you're guided to go into the hip bone. Um, they they drill a, a big needle in there to be able to extract the blood that's inside of the bone marrow, right? Um, <laughs> no fainting here. Um, and uh, I mean, we went from that point to. Uh, easier uh, approach another t another uh, bone marrow area like the sternum and then the sternum is the yeah the bone that's in the middle of the chest um, and then we we understood that we could also collect the stem cells from the free-flowing blood if we were able to collect a big percentage of the blood spin it make sure that we get we centrifuge it and separate it and then bring the blood back so we uh work with uh, this hematologist a group of uh, german doctors uh through an aphoresis device and i mean we were able to collect great quality of autologous stem cells and that like our our first years that that was our biggest training after we did a bone marrow puncture that's what we were doing like for lot of treatments we still have those testimonials online uh hollywood started coming down i mean danny glover even came down to to get treated um and we saw everything from uh, autism uh, paralysis um a, a spinal cord injury i mean you name the the disease we were able to do uh, clinical research to see 
if autologous stem cells was able to help them. And um, it was unbelievable. It was like, uh, we were calling those miracles, but the miracles just kept happening. Mm -hmm. So we understood that we were into a field of medicine that everybody needs to know that exist because uh, a nonverbal autistic kid that can be tapped in early on and can start speaking, you will change the rest of his life, right? Um, spinal cord injury patients that are set to lay in bed with, with being so spastic and sore and have uh, bed sores and uh, not being able to move their limbs as our regular medical world calls them because they're paralyzed and that's it. If there is some percentage of uh, improving the quality of life for them, it's the world and the universe for them. And for them not to have that opportunity, it, it is insane, it's insane. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we are, we, we've learned from all of these modalities of stem cells and then we, um, we then the whole scientific community, the medical community, understood that there's also stem cells that are um, stored in the fat tissue, in fat. So, uh, as I mentioned, the, the ones that are in the bone marrow are hematopoietic, are the ones that are, are blood-derived, but the ones that are stored in fat are mesenchymal stem cells, the st type of cells that would do every kind of uh, muscle skeletal um, they can divert into muscle skeletal. So it is still a field that is, needs a lot of research, but a lot of research has been done already. Um, so a little misconceptions that I know there exist, every time we say the word stem cell, people immediately associate it to... Embryonic. Embryonic, you are killing babies. Well, there has been controversies and articles coming out that even, you know, Planned Parenthood, they were, after they were aborting the fetuses, they were selling them to research companies because Correct. of the stem cells. They were making profit off of that. Correct. And, you know, that exploded in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. 2010s. And so the, the whole, the, in the early 2000s, um, also because of IVF, uh, in, in vitro fertilization, right? Um, that didn't exist before. N now it became something because of cryopreservation. We were able to collect those for one side the sperm and another side the eggs. And in a petri dish, we're able to actually combine them and have this mo mother stem cells, those, those, those first viable stem cells that we'll have potential human beings. So when you're going through IVF, you would have, let, let's just give it an example to make it easy, 20 to 30 of those viable stem cells that will create a human being. So if you're one of the lucky ones that get implanted, usually four or five of those, right? Not every time they, they stay in the uterus, right? Some of them do, some of them don't. So the ones that, that do usually is that's why we have twins or triplets, right? Um, uh, and there's some moms that just don't have, for whatever reason it is, I, I don't want to get into this either. So uh, they, they will have to go to a, through a second uh, try, right? And again, they will put four, five, six of those 
potential embryos, which are just the stem cells, right? Um, and uh, if you get pregnant with twins or triplets, you know, in two years, you still will have, I said, you would have 30 to 40 of those potential babies that were made in the Petri dish, right? So they have to store it, cryopreserve it at minus 200. And those, if you thaw them out, that you can, again, access to them and get implanted again. So how many of those sets of twins or triplets can an actual family carry, right? Not too many. <laughs> After you have one or two, you are <laughs> done. Uh, so um, the problem came after five years, those eggs were not viable anymore. They're not viable anymore because they won't have the same ability of bioability. We don't know. It's too early to know how many years, but they have set this five-year term. So after five years, they were uh, discarded all of the cells or the or the or the patients would say you know what i have triple triplets i am done i don't want to access my my potential babies anymore so that company will discard those uh eggs what happened then is that the scientific community said you know what if you're going to toss them how about you donate them to science and we will experiment with them and that was a huge ethical problem. I, I am not here to say it's good or bad, but those are potential human beings. And everybody in society has their own point of view, if it's right or wrong. And therefore, um, it was in the Bush administration where it was also a political move, I guess, um, that banned stem cells whatsoever stopped everything because you were killing babies. Yes, they were trying to play God with these embryonic potential human humans. Um, so that's where the whole drama of killing babies was. Another good point Alba had, yes, they, they were, they're aborted fetuses that are from, depending on the week that they are, I mean, instead of, uh, ethically, morally discard those uh, babies in, in an ethical and moral way, they were being sold, which is crazy. Um, so there are other ways to access to stem cells that do not require these extreme conditions and uh, that we have been proven on and on that just by the, uh, us as an adults have stem cells. Um, and then we'll tap into what the future is. But uh, no need to kill babies to <laughs> access to good stem cells. Well, you guys heard it right there. Dr. Mari does not experiment on baby cells. <laughs> no baby stem cells from no babies. So, okay. So no embryonic. No embryonic. Yeah. And, and th this is very important. I, I always like to, to say it. If anybody is considering doing a stem cell treatment and somebody from outside of the world uh, is offering you embryonic stem cells, 
there's enough research that shows that if you implant those stem cells, the embryonic stem cells, there's a big chance that you can get a teratoma. A teratoma is uh, um, this clump of cells that have teeth, hair. Um, so it is very already proved that it is not a good uh, treatment to, to go down the route if you're looking for a stem cell treatment. So let's go ahead and discuss that. What can you do when you say stem cell treatment? What does that mean? What do you treat? So um, because the, the FDA and the U.S. stopped early on the research in, in stem cells, the rest of the world did not. And the rest of the world got, I, I say, they got 15 years ahead of us in research. And the regulatory of the FDA has now finally been diligent on actually putting rules down. Because I would say eight years ago, it was like the wild, wild west. Because they approved autologous, but what was being done in autologous, either bone or fat stem cells, it still is and was <laughs> a little, we call it the wild, wild west of stem cells, where doctors go for uh, weekend training and they become like stem cell physicians, uh, where more has to be done. We can't can't just rely on three days of training to understand that. So um, FDA now it's very it's it's it, thank God it's like now there are more rules and regulations for that, um, which makes all of us safer to understand that yes we can access to treatments that requires stem cells because the entire world, the entire scientific community understands the power of stem cells as a regenerative um, treatment, as um, not, never, never to think that stem cells are the only solution for everything. I always like to make that clear. It is not going to cure it all, but if it can improve the quality of life of any debilitating chronic inflammatory condition, it will be the world to those patients. You know, if you improve a 20, 30, 40% of any of that, um, the patients and the caregivers and the family members that are, are involved with that um, patient are like really changed and tapped. So as the, the years continue, <laughs> uh, we, um, we got into a different area of stem cells. So perinatal source stem cells. So perinatal is perinatal um, tissue is the tissue that relies between the mom and the baby. It is not a tissue that is owned by the mom and is not owned by the baby. Mm. It's that perfect shield that protects that baby to stay inside of mom for nine months. So it's, it's a tissue that it's um, we call it, the, the scientists, we call it immunoprivileged, not that the, the term uh, has been pinpoint, but immunoprivileged because neither the mom or the baby reject that tissue, but let the symbiosis of both of them be created. So um, actually in the, in the tissue, there's no HLA antigen 2, which is just a protein that says, I am Mari, and your 
cells have that little antigen saying, I am Sean, I am Alba, right? So, and, and when you do a donation of organs, for example, have you always heard that they say, we gotta look for a match, right? For that HLA antigen too, to see if it would react or it will be okay with it, right? Mm -hmm. So perinatal tissue is that, is immune privilege because it won't react with any human. So it's a, a tissue, a human tissue that can be donated to any human. Um, so that is the, the, the last field that we've immersed ourselves as a company in the last five years. We've been working with stem cells now from perinatal source. Um, we are not killing babies. This is only um, when the when the babies are um, when the delivery is scheduled for a planned C-section, where the mom and the baby are totally healthy, that they have been screened for everything that the FDA and the AATB, which is the American Association of Tissue Bank, have uh, established on their regulations of what does a donor have to be screened for to be able to be considered a donor, right? So uh, medical history, social history, medication, travel history, everything gets um, documented and reviewed by, by our, uh, the whole team to understand that those donors are good donors and that that tissue, that perinatal tissue can be donated. So this is where, where we are now, where we, not only that we started working with the stem cells of perinatal, but we've gone into the next frontier. <laughs> are you ready for this? <laughs> These are exosomes. Exosomes are this new field in regenerative medicine and uh, where we just discovered that um, every cell communicate with one another through these little vesicles, through these bubbles. So we thought, before, we thought that um, these vesicles were just garbage that was dumped from one cell to another. Like, it was just Waste. garbage. Mm -hmm. So now we know, because there is better technology, these, these vesicles are in nanometers. They're from 40 to 100 nanometers. I'm, I'm talking about, uh, it's one to 1,000 of a cell. There, so, so that means that they're a little bit, if I remember my science correctly, they're a little bit bigger than an atom right now, based on those calculations you just gave. Okay, they're really, really small, Whoa. yes. <laughs> uh, atoms are way smaller than that. Okay, so there you go, that, that gives me an idea. <laughs> um, so it will be like a thousand of a cell. Mm -hmm. like, uh, and the cells are already super tiny and you need a special microscope to see cells, right? You, mm -hmm. Alba, you see cells, I'm sure, all the time. I don't know if you're No, training. I did. I remember that in um, in college when I refused to dissect a frog. That's something different. <laughs> that was when my vegan journey started, and I looked at my teacher and said, no, he actually almost failed me, but then we talked, and that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> well, anyway, you need a microscope to be able to amplify and be able to see a cell, right? Mm -hmm. So with a regular microscope or with a strongest microscope, you still cannot see the exosomes. Mm. So now we just discover this way of how to actually quantify that there are exosomes. And that's why the, this field is so advanced. So now that we understand that there are exosomes that are 
that communication between cell to cell, we no longer need the stem cells. Mm. If we're able to collect those messengers, those vesicles that the stem cells were secreting, we no longer need the mother, the mother cell. And this is the field that we are um, working on, the, the field that is like pretty much the most cutting edge right now in regenerative medicine. And exosomes can be used for diagnose. If you have a cell that is a cancer cell, it would be secreting exosomes that are loaded with information about that cancer, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a healthy stem cell that wants to make sure that that environment is working correctly, it will be secreting those little vesicles and bubbles of or those exosomes. Uh, so as a diagnostic and uh, from our side, as a treatment option is where we are working with um, exosomes right now. <laughs> so treatment-wise, um, stem cells or exosomes can be used for, already, you already discussed it, for people who are quadriplegic, paraplegics, autism. So, I mean, I, I gave you a little background of what we discovered with autologous stem cells. Um, those were like the really early years of what we treated because there was no, like, if you are, if you go to your specialty, you will go and look into all of the data that has already been published. When you're talking about a field that is so new, you are creating the data because data does not exist. Nowadays, if you type stem cell research, you will find hundreds and thousands of published studies because stem cells are so broad. So you're, you, can, you can talk about embryonic stem cells, you can talk about autologous stem cells in the, the bone, in the blood, in the, uh, or adipose, right? You can talk about perinatal stem cells, you can talk about core blood stem cells, amniotic membrane stem cells. So there's so many, the diversity of stem cell research is just so big right now and uh, that you have to really understand which stem cell are you talking about and what you wanna use them for. So um, no, uh, to go back to your question, what would you be treating? So us as a company, uh, we're a public company, we are, our, our goal is to be able to um, produce a product that has a medical grade uh, drug actually. Uh, we, we will be filing for drug application to be able to, as, as Humira, Humira is a biologic, right? Um, that, so our, our source is not, our source is not a chemical compound, it's a biological compound that means all criteria and all regulatory from FDA that will be able to prove that we can consistently produce this and everybody can consistently be able to receive this treatment for a specific thing. So going back to your question, right now we're working with osteoarthritis of the knee. Um, so pain management, joints are vastly researched in stem cells. And um, as a company, that is our first and foremost principal goal to work right now. Uh, and we are working with um, 
the chief of HSS, which is the Hospital of Special Services in New York City. They only do orthopedics, and we are um, working directly with, with uh, those physicians to be able to collect the data and present it to the FDA to go down the route of a new drug application. So um, other things that we are working with right now, we're working with the Mayo Clinic, uh, the chief of cardiology, uh, and we're working for heart and lung uh, problems. So really different from what I, we started with and what we started treating, but um, being able to, throughout all these years, being able to pinpoint what else can we do, what, what are the better results, the greater results that we should be focusing our, our efforts in. Wow, fascinating. I mean, it, it seems like stem cells are going to open a door for so many different things and you have even tapped not even like a quarter of what it can actually do correct wow and how long have you been researching stem cells so we um we were introduced like 12 years ago 12 15 years ago to this hematologist that introduced us to autologous stem cells but these hematologists were been working for 25 years in the field so if you have those 25 to our or 12 15 uh, that's like as long as we are uh, have been working with so and what i what i would love to just convey is learning and understanding the the body's own ability to reheal itself. It's so fascinating to know that if, if you have a joint, let's just use the joint example, where something really hurts, you are old and you've been banging that joint for so long, uh, they take an x-ray, an MRI, and they say, oh my God, you're joint to joint, you, you're like ready for a, a knee replacement and we're able to inject this product, right, that is so regenerative that the body just uses that product that at the end of the day is just proteins for regeneration, a specific message for regeneration, and can influence on that joint for it not to go straight to a knee replacement, to delay that, to give you an improvement on the quality of life that you're having every time you go down the steps, right? That is what's so fascinating, the body's ability to regenerate itself, right? So, and that's where nutrition actually comes and intertwines with it because nutrition has that ability. I mean, so many research studies already are proven that we can reverse and re-teach the body how to actually work again correctly. Wow. I mean, I, I think there's so much to go over, especially someone who's just getting into stem cells. Obviously, there's a lot of positive things, especially with the new technology that's coming out, the new research, rather, that's coming out. Where can people go to find, as we're wrapping up the podcast, where can people go to find more information about what you do? So we work with a network of physicians. We are uh, the manufacturers of a product, a specific product. And uh, I mean, there's many physicians that are out there um, working with different kinds of stem cells and exosomes. So, I mean, we can always um, help redirect them to those physicians that are qualified and that are working correctly and that are following all FDA guidelines. And if any, any of our listeners may have 
concerns about maybe testing on animals, what would you say to answer them? Yeah, so the beauty about this is that the only, only animal that has been tested is in humans. So in an autologous stem cells, right? Uh, using the body's own ability or using human cells. Um, there is bigger projects, longer projects that uh, still exist. And we are, because I have a big boat on this, at least my, our company, uh, our company is trying to do absolutely everything. And I would not do any animal testing if, if it was up, up to me. But um, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the future, the future of being able to treat so many um, patients and the FDA, uh, we will have to comply. But I, I don't know. It's 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 something that's in the future. Uh, as of right now, if you're doing any kind of autologous stem cells, there has not been any testing done in animals. Just because we are a different animal, it would not be the same. So there's many many research, many approved already treatments that you can use. Uh, your own cells. And I think with that, before we close out, Alba, do you have any questions or closing remarks? I am very happy that you were able to spend some time with us. We got to answer some questions. We got to look just a little bit like the tip of the iceberg of what exactly stem cells are. And as a vegan researcher, scientist, doctor, that is beautiful to see and amazing to know. And I just want to thank you so much from SoFlow Vegans. And you can go to soflowvegans.com slash podcast for the show notes on this podcast, as well as more links and information on what we have going on in South Florida, as you know, we're all about helping out making South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. And we want to thank you so much for your support of SoFlow Vegans. And we look forward to, you know, working with you in the future. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I, I adore you guys. What you're doing is, is so amazing, and let's keep pushing.